I did not calm down until Carl Lewis came and talked to us. And he was like wandering around. Somehow he got in and linked up with Matt Imes. He was behind there, like looking at the boats. And he literally, all he said was, he just looked there and goes, oh, you're going to go race the, race the final sign. He's like, oh, ain't nothing to it but to do it. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. And we have, we have just Eddie. It's Teddy Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Marie. It's Mahi Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Vincent. Thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Sordo, Rower's Choice. And this is yet another podcast. But this is a different one. This is, uh, I woke up this morning and I was fanboying this. I was so nervous. This is the first time in all of these interviews that I've done, hundreds of interviews, that I'm actually nervous because I'm talking to someone who I watched on a little screen because most of you kids nowadays have these big screen TVs. I watched this guy win gold medal live in person with some of my best friends in a room. This is the head coach of UPenn, Brian Volpenheim. Brian, holy cow. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And I don't um, need to be nervous. I'm just <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna be right up front. Dude. <laughs> so listen, every interview starts the same. Yeah. And uh it's where were you? How old were you when you took that first rowing stroke? Uh I was just turned 18 and I was um it was my fall of my freshman year at Ohio State. So fall of ninety-four. So what, what, like, uh, what got you to get into that boat in 1994 at Ohio State? Because like, it's a club team. It's not really yeah. a big program. Yeah, yeah no, I saw a, uh, I was doing a tour of campus uh, with my mom that summer. And I saw a flyer advertising the team, the club mm-hmm. team. And I thought the picture looked cool. And uh, I had never really heard of rowing before. And I was like, oh, that might be something to try. And uh, I grabbed the flyer. And then... Didn't think much of it the rest of the summer. And then when I got back to campus in the fall, I saw another one and it reminded me. And then I literally was sort of sitting around my dorm room and one of my roommates at the time, uh, he was also interested. So we, we, uh, we almost missed the first meeting actually, but so we were like, just like, Oh, that's tonight. And then we ran down and across the street to the boathouse. And where, where are you from? Like, where did you grow up? I grew up in just North of Cincinnati. If anybody there, knows Kings, the Kings Island amusement park, I like right behind it. Now, Cincinnati had a pretty good junior program. I mean, it's like some of the most famous like junior rowing back like yeah. early 2000s was Cincinnati. Were they a program back then? I mean, were they something yeah, and they were, you saw? No, I never saw them, but they were good back then. You know, I don't, I think Jezdale was there and uh, he had a, a long run of good crews and um I didn't, I had no idea. I, you know, I played baseball and grew up playing soccer and baseball. Um, I did that all through high school. And so, um, I wasn't good enough to do those at, in college. So I, but I like sports and I wanted to keep going with something. So I decided to try, try rowing. So you, you tried rowing, you clearly got good fast because three years after you started, you were already racing at the world championship level. It's like, when did you find speed? on the earth. Cause I, I don't, I, I look back at records like Ohio state was never that good. You guys were just never a great program, but like, when did you realize you were fast? Um, well, I think like my junior year, I would say, uh, is when my erg really got into the realm of where I, that con- those conversations started ha- happening. So 97. 
So my third year. Um, it's an interesting story, and I've told it a few times. Um, and I talk to my guys all, all the time about it. It's just um, it's sort of the power of perception and what you think you're capable of and limits and all that. Um, and there was a lightweight guy on our team. And we, you know, like we had, I was around a lot of good guys, committed, dedicated, big dudes, you know, like I was not the biggest guy on the team. And, uh, but there was a lightweight guy in our varsity. And, um, you know, we had this chalkboard that we would write our scores up on, on test day, we would have to come down and do it in between classes. And, and um, he was writing up his 2k and he would write up 555. And, um, oh. you know, I had no idea at the time. I just was like, I got, you know, I'm, you know, I got 40 plus pounds in this dude. I should be able to beat him. And so I kind of set out to do that. Uh, he wrote a 56, actually 556. And, uh, you know, it took me a couple of years, but eventually I got there and, you know, my junior year, I went, um, 601.9 at the Cincinnati satellite regatta for crash bees, which got me a flight to Boston. <laughs> and then I went to Boston, the crash bees that year. And they put me up in a hotel. It was like, that was surreal. And, uh, and then I went 555 at that crash piece. And that was when sort of the conversations and invites started coming and all that. Did that guy actually pull a 556 as a lightweight? No, no, I don't, I don't, no, I don't. I, I've always, I was always curious what his real score would have been because he was easily the fittest guy on the team. He was super strong in the weight when we lift weights and like, you know, highly intense person. And I think yeah. he would have been a good lightweight. I just think that, you know, for whatever reason, that, that he was doing that but you know i, would, I, I, I always like, was like the head coach maybe just fucking with you and saying hey here's 556 go get it boys is that a possibility i don't think so because it kind of like came out later that he was like he was making it up and you know the head coach probably just was like i'm not gonna he trusted us and you know he wasn't you know he i don't think he cared as much about ergs and at that at a program like that you you know you you're gonna put your best rowers in yeah. anyway and so um and this kid was super athletic, so and he was a good rower. And so, uh, you know, for me, I credit him. Like without that as a carrot, I don't think I would have been as good on the erg as I. I wouldn't have pushed myself. I mean that that allowed me to separate and and, and get to that level. What else? What like what were you doing? to get that fast? I mean, were you just doing long and lows or were you working on power application? Cause to go from never touching an ore to 555 in three years seems really unlikely, right? I, th I think there's a lot, there's some genetics involved and some physiology that I got was very fortunate, you know, to have. Um, and I think it was a little bit of right place, right time. Um, the ERG had changed the, in those years. It went from the B to the model C. So yeah. maybe that was a bit different. Um, and, uh, you know, we, our, our coach was a big fan of Gladstone when he was at Brown in those years in the mid nineties. And so he basically told us, I don't know if this is true, but he basically is like, I have Brown's training program. That's what we're going to do. And so it was like a lot of two by forties, two by 40 minute on the ERG, um, 12 by five hundreds. Those are the kind of the ones I, I really remember, like that kind of stuff, intervals, um, you know, and then. It, 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 there's a long winter in Columbus. And so you're on the erg a lot and we lifted a lot of weights. We, we had a weight room in the, in the boathouse and we lifted a lot of weights and that was a lot of fun. All right. So, so back then it, it's not like today where 
social media is a thing, cell phones were a thing. How did the national team find you? Was it just because you went 555? They're like, get this guy in here in 97? No, I had to I had to mail in my score and with like a coaching recommendation. So I don't know if you remember, but back then you you would get USRN would publish the the scores that were sent in and it would come in a packet in the mail. Yes. And it would just be a printout. And, you know, you, I would get it and I could see, you know, where, you know, where people were and what the top scores were, you know, and I think like that year was when the majority of people from 96 retired. And so there was a window of opportunity and I, you know, that the timing of that, where my erg started to come up when people at that highest level were retiring, I think. And then also Mike getting the job coaching who was yeah, open yeah. to someone like me coming um and and a big he invested a lot in the erg and he valued that a lot um that also helped and so i literally would get these printouts and i would be like okay i'm not that far off and i started submitting my scores and um you know the that that year i submitted a fi- the 55 and it ended up top eight um oh. because like all these people had retired right so um and so like literally that fall, I got a gigantic box of Nike gear because there was still a sponsorship with US running with Nike and I had never made a team and I'm just sitting on my couch in Columbus and like, the, you know, FedEx delivers this. I mean, it was huge, like two pairs of shoes, rain gear, sandals, you know, shirts, pants, like everything. It was crazy. And I was That's- like, oh, this, this might be lucrative. I might be, a, this is legit. I'm going <laughs> to. All right. So. So 97, you get, you get invited to the camp. You guys are training in Princeton, right? Like this is yeah. the armory is where you guys are training. Um, Mike's new. And some of these guys start coming in. I mean, men that like are burned in my memory because I've seen your documentary 50 times, right? This great group of guys. Were you one of the youngest at the time? Like in that? I think, yeah, I think so. I think there was like a few of us that were still in college uh, or just out of. Um, probably a handful of us. Um, Was it, it, it looks like from the outside looking in, it looks like a group of just ego, maniacal, crazy strong men. Like it looks yeah. like you guys yeah. could knock the shit out of somebody at any point in time. Yeah, it was, it was, was scary to be honest. It was scary. Yeah, yeah, it was that, scary. yeah, I was nervous. Like I was, I was young, I was new. I'd never been around that level before. Um, it, at times it was pretty terrifying. I mean, everybody's super nice, but like, you're right. They, there was nothing um, easy about it. And uh, there was an edge to it. They're very welcoming. It was like a lot of camaraderie, it was a lot of fellowship and those kinds of things. But it was like, if you screwed up, you heard about it. And there, there was like, you were, you could get knocked, you could get punched in the head. It was like, somebody might whack you if like you mess up enough. And I have a to have that edge, I think, is 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 was good. Well, I think it's I think it's essential, um, it, you know, and and I think it's essential, but I don't think it's like that today anymore. I just don't. Get I don't that think sense. so. No, you don't. There's not that vibe, you know. Which is, I mean, times have changed, but I, you know, I do think there's that coming up in that there was a lot. I had a lot of guys to look up to, and that was a, an advantage for me. And I so I paid attention. You know, I, I listened to what they said. I followed them i did what they said i you know i i didn't screw around for the most part i mean i you know i i did have fun but i 
you know, when it came to the rowing, I was very serious. Um, like, I look at, I look at like Chip and I think he's like the instigator, but could also knock you out on your ass if like, if he needed to. So like, he yeah, had, they, had it from the coxswain all the way up. Yeah. They were serious people. You know, they had real jobs and they, this was like, they were committed and they were going to do this and they were on a mission and, you know, you were either going to get in line or, or get out of the way. And, you know, and I didn't look the part, you know, and so to credit to all those guys to just, you know, if this guy can make us faster, I don't care where he's from or what he looks like. We're going to, we're going to fold him into the group. And I felt that. And I thought that was great. And I have, a, you know, the, all those guys are lifelong friends. Um, oh, yeah. They're, yeah. I, I can't imagine that you're not. So 97 through 99 is an incredible run of yeah. just domination. Um, and you said you were on a mission. Was, was it vocalized? Like, Mm-hmm. We're going to win the Olympics and we're going to do this every single, it was like every day. It was pretty much vocalized every day. Like, this is what we're doing. This is how, why we're doing it. And you're either on board or you're not. And if you're not on board yet, no one has time for you. Wow. At what, what was the largest group of guys you had at one time? I think there were like four eights of dudes, maybe, which is big for a training center. That that's insane. Like that, that's insane. I don't think it's like that everywhere. No, they're pretty small now. I mean, we, when I was coaching with Luke, like we had a three eights, maybe 24, 28 guys. Um, and, uh, and that felt big and there were, there was constant pressure to sort of reduce the size. Um, you know, I think that was part of Mike's genius and what Mike was really good at was in motivating people and getting people, together and like you know getting a lot out of them good or bad like you it 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 sharpened the edge of the sword i i've heard that statement actually a couple times uh talking to guys from your era there was like a sharpening of the sword it was all the time all the time um what were you doing to make ends meet because i don't think that you were getting paid to do this like what how did the money work for you to be able to live and train all those years yeah. So before 2000, you know, I did odd jobs and, um, you know, I would, you know, paint driveways or clean gutters or, you know, remove asbestos or like, you know, forever it was people around town, like whatever they needed, I would go do things. Um, I had like a weird office job at one point, uh, editing like sort of, uh, I don't know, these medical briefs, you know, okay. you know, that was short, um, lived, uh, things like that. I just odd jobs basically. Um, and then after 2000, I got the home Depot job, which was, you know, you got paid for 40 hours, but you worked 20. Um, so that was like a salary job and that made a big difference. Um, and there was, there was prize money. So like, instead of getting a monthly stipend, if you performed, you would get a big chunk, a big check. And so you would live off that. It wasn't a lot, but it was enough to sort of survive on. So you, you, it's, I mean, everyone knows I've, I've watched the race in St. Catharines probably a hundred times, you guys coming back, you know, winning 99. Um, the crowd looked like it was the largest rowing crowd in the history of rowing. Like that just looked incredible. But then, then this, um, uh, the most famous documentary comes out in my mind, a fine balance. And man, I got so many questions about that. <laughs> First off, what was it like? to 
have that camera crew around you as much as it was because it looked like it was a very intimate setting the camera was there a lot yeah i think um it was a little surreal at times and you, you kind of um but it was also fun because you you know as a rower you don't really get cameras around you very often and it's not um it it's it's uh it was unique so it felt like oh this is legit people are you know, making a movie about us, like this is serious. Um, it did add a little bit of weight to the environment, I think. I think people were like, you know, it was either gonna be, it, add, it, it exposed the tension of what we were trying to do and the drought we were trying to break. Um, and it sort of highlighted that every day. I think Brad being a rower and a gold medalist himself and like, you know, writing, you know, the books that he's written and we've all read them. So I think that allowed him some intimate um, access. You know, I think he was very friendly and, you know, it was like he was a rower. So it was like easy to sort of talk to. Um, and I think that made a difference. Uh, so it was a little surreal at times, but, you know, you kind of got used to it. And uh, yeah, it was, it was fun to talk to Brad about rowing. So, so there's a couple scenes in this movie documentary that are drilled in my memory forever. Uh, one was you're spackling a goddamn apartment. And looking back, because like I'm an old, yeah. old, older man now, you're an older man now, I noticed two things. One, how laid back you were, but also yeah. like arrogance and ego, right? Because like when you're talking, you're like, oh, if we fucking win. Oh, I mean, I'm going to jump out of the boat. And it just, it, can, you met, can you walk me through that moment? Can you think back to when you were personally interviewed, spackling your house? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, that was actually Jamie Coven's house. Um, okay. Funny anecdote. Uh, yeah, it was, you know, I, when I think back and I, I look at that, I, I see those scenes or hear people talk about it. Like I, I, to me, I sound very young, you know, and I sound a yeah. little immature and, um, you know, I sound like, I feel like I was, it, 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 it is a pretty clear picture of who I was like a new, rower who made his way to the top and is like has a chance to go to the olympics and win and you know i was confident that we were going to do it and i got that confidence you know from mike and from the guys that i rode with every day and you know i had a lot of faith in those guys that if i just did what they told me to do we were going to win um and so that's where that confidence and that ego comes from and you know we had won so it was like yeah this is going to continue um and so the, I, those interviews are through that lens basically and so that's where all that comes from there's another moment where you're at the crash b and you're you're um mike's behind you and he starts yelling 22 volt 22 22 and i'm not kidding you when i say this i'm still rowing i'm still erging and i think about that when i'm pulling trying to do 500 meter you know bursts or whatever was that moment with the cameras and knowing that you're going to be in the Olympics in just a few months. I talk to me about that moment. 122 with 500 meters to go or 300 meters to go, having Mike screaming in your, in your head. Uh, is, is that all just a blur or can you think back to that erg? No, I remember it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, it's vivid. Um, that was the first time I broke 550. Wow. And so that was my goal. And, uh, you know, that was back when Crash Bees had two, two Ks. It was a heat and a final. And so that was the heat. 
And uh, cause I knew there was no way I could do two. And so I went for it on the heat. I remember in that one, uh, I started sprinting at 750 to go and I, I felt good. And I was like, I can do this. I'm going to break 550. And I, yeah, I remember Mike just being there the whole time. I don't really remember the camera. It was like, and I remember thinking that, you know, Mike was there and I, I remember his voice and I remember thinking like, if I do this, I'm going to punch my ticket to the Olympics. Like it, it's going to be hard for them to take me out of the boat. If, you know, I can break 550 and, and be one of the top ergs. Um, you know, it's just another sort of data point that's going to make it harder. And so that's what I remember thinking. And it was like, I didn't, I don't remember any, it being hard or any pain or anything. I just remember, you know, like the numbers coming down pretty easily and pretty early in that piece. Um, so 548, 549, like what was the 549 just under 49. So like for, yeah. for the young guys out there, you know, who watch this and listen to this, I mean, how much different was your training from the 555 to 549? It went from like once a day to twice a day, basically, you know, in college we were doing once a day, you know, I would do an extra erg here or there. I would do an extra weight session, nothing crazy. Right. Um, but we were doing two a days under Mike. You know, it wasn't three days. It wasn't crazy volume, but it was hard all the time. And like at the time, hard, that was hard, one of the, the time. Was that like one of the top scores in the eight at that point? I think like Garrett Miller was like close to 540. Um, so he was a big one. Uh, and I think it was at that point one of the second or third fastest. There were, there were guys that didn't make it that were faster. Um, yeah. You know, and I think that that was like, that was an era when there were a lot of good ergs too. Um, well, the, 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 probably the most famous moment is when the young guy from Brown comes in and pulls a ridiculous yeah, yeah. motor. I would love to know, I, 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 don't, I don't want to talk about was it the right or wrong decision. I want to know what it was like inside the boat when that was happening. Right? Like, were there discussions internally? What were you thinking when that was going on at the time? Uh, for me, there were discussions. There are a lot of discussions. Um, and, you know, for me, I was the youngest guy. And, uh, well, me and Tom Welsh, the four seat, were the yeah, same Tom, age. Yeah. So, and we came up at the same time. Um, so, like, for us and for me, it was just like, I kept my head down and just was like pulled hard. I was like, that's my job. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to, you know, rock the boat or like really argue whether or not someone should be in or not, right? That's not my place. But some of the veterans and guys that have been around for a long time were having discussions with Mike and, you know, um, and, you know, I think the movie goes into a little bit about, you know, how that decision was made and why it was made. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think when, when I look back at it now, it's like, if like Worley, like we love Dave. Dave was a great dude. He was really funny great to be around it's a lot to ask of a 19 year old kid and have that be their first team they make is well, to put him pressure. in that it's in not, that yeah. pressure situation and, and um, um so was was um i guess it was you're just like awestruck of his power and size right like yeah you just, how are you not right how are yeah. you not and as a coach now now that you run one of the top elite programs in the country, UPenn. 
Is that a decision that you would have made similarly, or would you have thought less about the erg? I I would have, I would have, I would have gone down that path. I would the have same liked. one Mike took. Yeah, I would have like looked at it. Now, if I had options and if it wasn't going well and there were other options, I you know I would have also looked at those. Like that's sort of the lesson to take from that. You know, I think like one thing I go back to all the time is how important and you how important chemistry is in a lineup. Like Worley, when he was in that boat, when it was those guys that had won in, you know, 98, 99, that, that repeat lineup, there was something about that lineup that clicked. And it was like, there was an ease to how we rode and there was an ease to being around each other. And that I think is significantly undervalued, but it's also very hard to pinpoint and, and notice when you're a coach and, and have the guts to kind of go with it, um, which I think Mike did in 04. There was a lot of chemistry in that boat too. And, you know, I, I, that's my lesson from it is like, yeah, the erg matters. You cannot win without power. I mean, that's, you just can't, especially at that level. Um, Cause everyone pretty much rose the same or just as well. And there's some differences in efficiencies and style and things like that, but basically you need power to win. Um, and so it's like, you're, you're, you, but if there's no chemistry, like is, is the power getting utilized basically? And so that's the question you have to try to answer. And I think chemistry enhances that power. Like if everyone's getting along and it's, there's like a, there's a good, easy rhythm and flow and swing to it, then the power gets enhanced. If that is, if that isn't there, then it becomes a struggle to utilize that power. And then doubt can kind of creep in and i think that's kind of what happened and what you see in that movie is that there's an element of doubt in ourselves and in the system and in what we were doing because it just wasn't clicking the same way and it wasn't going as fast as easily it was more work was chip vocal about it a lot was he i don't know i, I you'd have to ask him i think so you know i don't know i don't know how much of these guys had direct conversations with Mike and what they said, you know, and, and, you know, and, and with Mike, it's like, how, you know, Worley was kind of stuck after he qualified the four and which is a bummer. And it's like, you know, when you take that out, just that one move, it's not so much like the other guys weren't good enough, but it was like, there was like, it, it deflated the room a little bit. There's a, there's a, there's something, there's an underlying thing, and maybe I'm reading between the lines here a little bit. Uh, so give me some leeway here, but it feels like Mike was the coach. No one questioned it. You moved on. And in today's world, I feel like if the coach makes a decision, parents, friends, family, rowers all get involved and try to adjust the decision-making and it's, they, they, they don't leave the coach to be the coach. So like you guys had such a respect for him and the decisions that you kept your mouth shut and you pulled hard. I think in today's world, I think it's a little bit different. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there is definitely a shift that has happened. Um, and, you know, there are good parts of that. And there are parts that are more difficult, right? There's elements yeah. that it, it, that can be beneficial and there's elements that make it more challenging. Um, you know, and, and Mike wasn't perfect and neither were we. Um, you know, and who knows, maybe if we, if we said something or spoke up more, the result would be different. Maybe not, um, but it it was like um, I think I, 
back then you just, there was a, more of a feeling of as an athlete, you have one job and you have a lot of control in that job. And if you do a good job doing that, then you're going to have success more often than not. That's the way I looked at it. Um, and also I knew that like, you're going to lose sometimes, like you don't always win. And I think you have to learn from losing. And I, I, being at Ohio state, I lost all the time. So I was, you know, some could say <laughs> I should, I should be super smart based on that, but you know, uh, but I gained a lot of experience through all that, you know, you get fifth cross the line. Uh, you're in a foreign country. Um, was there much to, to be said after that race or, or was it just some tears and some anger? Like what happened after that? You crossed that line. Yeah, there was some anger. There was tears. Like people were frustrated, you know, and it's, it's, um, if you look at the movie, there's a scene at the end where it's like me, Garrett and T Welsh all kind of like, we're the youngest ones. And we're all, there's like a slow-mo shot of us, like coming in for a hug at the end. And I think in the end, that's, we didn't really point a lot of fingers, I don't think. And mm -hmm. I think in the end, you, you just accept the result and you try to grow from it and, and come back the next time and do better. Um, I remember right after that, you know, you're at, you're in the, we're all the, the, the grandstands area, you're meeting with friends and family outside the security. Um, and I went and I walked over and I sat on the grandstands and just up high, but then down below, when I got there, the, there was um, a bunch of guys from the British aid who were celebrating with their family. And so I just sat and watched them and like soaked it in and was like, let this sear in my brain because I don't want it to happen again. And, uh, and then you kind of like take a step back and then get back to the drawing board. I, I, yeah, I, um, I really respect that. Um, I, and I never, I didn't know that about you, that you sat there and watched. Um, you guys do a lot of retooling. You guys, you guys, the, the makeup, the uh, makeup of the team shifts a lot over four years uh, from 2000, 2004. Um, I've watched that race. I don't know, maybe a thousand times. And, and I know there's been a lot of interviews with you guys on that race. I don't want to dive too deep into it, but I mean, you had open water at the thousand and it looked so goddamn effortless. Was that because of chemistry or is that because you guys changed your training plan and your stroke changed? Like what happened in those four years that got you to that position? Um, that's a good question. I mean, a lot, I think, you know, I think Mike changed a lot. I think he grew and changed the way we selected from pairs basically, instead of just seat racing and eights and only eights and doing that. Um, and there was still an emphasis on the erg, but, um, we spent three months in San Diego and Chula Vista doing three days and, and rowing pairs. And it became more of a technical sort of a camp. And at some times it was, it was difficult and the training was hard, but it was like, um, the small boats made a big difference, I think. Um, but I think a lot of it was chemistry. And I think a lot of it through that, those three months and through that process of like how hard that was, um, you know, you were able to see kind of who's moving boats and, and like guys start to click. And then we literally got in that lineup and it was like one row and we all kind of knew that it was good. And why did you, you move from bow to stroke? So why did you, so what was like, did you, did you oh, make so, like, I'm, I'm no, taking. 
No, so if you go back from 2000 to 2004, each year I sit in a different seat in the eight. Yeah. So, um, and I and I had been stroking um, pairs with Jr. and I stroking straight fours every once in a while. Um, but I think I, the stroking came from just being in the pair, and then you know having some success there in the stroke seat, and 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 both in practice and then at the selection regattas. Um, like, I don't think Jared and I lost a selection regatta, or I don't think I lost a selection regatta over those four years. I think I lost one speed order in the pair. Um, and Joey and Matt Deacon will never let me forget it. Uh, uh, so, uh, so I think that's where a lot of that confidence came from in the stroke seat. I remember um, the first time they put me in stroke seat in the eight, uh, Pete had to like stop me <laughs> and be like, he just goes, he like, pulls the mic. He's like, dude, just relax, breathe. You're going to be fine. Just row. And I was like, cause I was, you know, you get up there and you're like, I'm, I'm going to change the world. And then you start doing all this stupid stuff. And, uh, and then it, and then it, it sort of like came, I started to figure it out a little bit. And um, the, the, row, the, the rowing that I was doing in the pair started to transfer to the eight and uh, started to really click. What advice do you have for a stroke seat getting in that position for the first time? Uh, do less than you think you need to like rely on the people behind you they're, they they are almost I would say they're more important than you in I've heard this I've heard this told by almost I guess half the people in your in your boat that warm up at Athens right where you're just like I'm ready uh I want to hear it from your perspective yeah uh it was hot that it was hot. And I think what happened is I, I think I warmed up on the erg more than I normally do. Cause I was nervous. I was so nervous in Athens, like outrageously nervous, the most nervous I've ever been. And I did not calm down until Carl Lewis came and talked to us. And he was like wandering around somehow he got in and linked up with Matt Imes. And he was behind there, like looking at the boats and he literally, all he said was, he just looked around and goes, oh, going to go race the race the final sign. He's like, oh, ain't nothing to it but to do it. Like, just so matter of fact. And like, this, here's like probably the greatest runner in the history of America. Yep. Yep. And like, it it calmed me down immediately. Um, wow. But I think before that, I had erged a lot trying to get rid of some of the nerves. And so I was extra warm. And so I think that anecdote speaks to the chemistry and the trust that we have in each other. It speaks to the trust that, that the crew had in me um, and we had in each other because I literally was ready. And I, they didn't even hesitate when I said, I'm ready. Pete was like nervous. Pete, I could see it in Pete's face. He was like, oh, this is gonna either be, this is either gonna work or I'm gonna, this is gonna be the worst mistake of my career. Um, and he just, again, just talked to me, pulled the mic aside and was like, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I'm warm. And then he basically asked the boat, and to a guy, they went down the boat and said, yeah. Wyatt, I think, was the one guy that was like, oh, fucking Volp, you know? <laughs> he, Which, I, think he's my, uh, I think he's my favorite rower in that boat. I, I just, I, I love the way that guy rows, man. Just there's yeah. something about his stroke. Um, it's, it's beautiful. Um, so at what point in that race did you know you were winning? Uh about halfway. I knew that we could. 
you knew that you could like from, yeah. from, from when, when, when I mean, you're when you're up by that much you're like okay if i don't make any mistakes we can win because i well, knew yeah, no one's going to get through us nobody talks about the fact that you broke the world record in the heats or the semifinals right like yeah, you broke the world record. really yeah that doesn't matter no it's like we you know it's the preliminary preliminary race who gives a shit, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you cross that. Damn. All right. Well, you you, uh, you you go at it again for four more years. Yeah. And now at this point, you're the old man, like the guys from 96, you know, that are starting to retire. Um, what kept you doing it another cycle? I I just loved it. You know, it's like, it's what I wanted to do. It's who I was. And it was, um, I just enjoyed all of it. You know, I think and when I think about my career, it's like a sort of bell curve of like attitude. You know, I came in super young and inexperienced and just was happy to be there and, um, you know, loving it. Right. And then just excited. And then at the peak in Athens, it's like, I became a little bit of a prima donna, a little bit of a pain in the ass, a little bit hard to row with, uh, Mike, I was a thorn in Mike's side constantly. Um, and then on the back end, it's like I, you, you come full circle and you go back to sort of your roots and where you were and you start to realize that you're coming to the end of your career. And it's like you realize how fortunate you are and how lucky you are to be able to do that. And you just enjoy every moment of it. Mental health has been uh, a huge topic for rowers uh, lately, right? Like um, uh, a, a very good friend of mine, Emily Schmieg, I'm sure you know who she is. She was a lightweight rower. My wife rode mm -hmm. with her for a period of time, struggling uh, finding herself after, right? Rowing, like, like she, she retired, she never made it to the top. And then, you know, you spent 12 plus years training, rowing, only rowing with odd jobs to make ends meet. Like, what happens in 20, in 2008, 2009, we are like, oh, I better put my big boy pants on. I got to have a career. I have to adjust now. I mean, was it a natural transition to coaching or was there a lot of struggles mentally about what you're doing? Yeah, there's a, a lot of uncertainty, you know, I think, and I felt it more, I would say in 2005. So when I came back right after Athens, we were training full-time. I doubled up that year, the four and the eight. Yeah, it was an yeah. intense year. And I'd say that's the most fit I've been like, but I was burned out. And I literally was 30 or 28 or I think 29, maybe at that point. And I was sleeping on an air mattress on the floor of a church in Princeton underneath a pool table and for the summer training. And I was like, I cannot live like this anymore. <laughs> I got to think of something else I'm going to do when I'm done with rowing, because I, you know, this can't, I can't do this. And so I didn't know what to do and it was a struggle. And so I um, started doing research on cooking schools and I loved cooking and food. I was like, okay, maybe I'll, I've always kind of wanted, was into that and I'll see, I'll, maybe I can make that happen. And so then I took a year off and went to culinary school in 2006 uh, in Seattle. And I think doing that early, made the transition after Beijing much easier for me, but I, cause I kind of went through it and dealt with it while I was still rowing in a sense. Um, I always had a hunch I was going to come back, but I didn't know. Um, and so basically when I retired in 08, I was driving from 
Princeton to Seattle to find a job in a kitchen. And I got a call on the way from Mike Callahan about um, the opportunity at Pocock to coach their high performance group. And I drove basically straight to the boathouse and interviewed and decided that like, you know, the bug was still there and I want to be a part of rowing. And maybe there's a way for me to do both food and, and rowing. Were you able to actually have a job in somewhere like cooking? Not in, not in Seattle uh, at that time. Uh, but when I moved to Oklahoma city to coach that the training center there, I got a job there cooking, uh, in a steakhouse. And so that was an interesting, um, <laughs> life because I'd be up at, you know, you, you'd work all night and you'd, you'd be, get off at like two and then I'd be up for practice the next morning. And, you know, it didn't last very long, but so, it was so still, between, a lot, still a lot of fun. So between you and Sarah, like you're the cook, you're the chef, you're the guy that yeah, I'm the cook. <laughs> For better or for worse. Yeah, I'm a cook. <laughs> so, so, all right, well then, you know, before I move on to coaching at UPenn, like, get, what do I do to make the perfect steak? Tell me, what do I got to do at home to make that perfect steak? Rest your meat. <laughs> <laughs> Always rest your meat longer than you think you should. I think that's probably it. I think like high heat, sear it, and then let it sit. How about salt to pepper ratio? Is there like a lot of salt and pepper on there? If you're, if you're using a grill uh, outside, then over season it because a lot of that will fall off in the grill. If you're using a pan, uh, just regular amount. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah. Oklahoma Steakhouse. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, All right. So you pen. So um, look, from the outside looking in, there's a lot of rumors, always rumors about pen. So it, it goes back to Stan Bergman. And my, and he taught me how to row. And then Greg Meyer, right? My, my head coach at GW, right? There just seems to be a lot of cycling out of coaches at UPenn. And it, it, from the outside in, we think that there's just a lot of pressure to win, right? But you get this job. Why take the UPenn job? Why, you know, a history of people leaving in a couple of years. Is it your, are you a glutton for punishment? Or like, what is it? Why UPenn? Good question. That's a very good question. Um, I, I was, I got a call about the job when I was living in San Diego and uh, they asked me to interview. And um, so I figured, well, initially I thought I should interview and, and go through the process and, 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 you know, hone skills that way. Right. And just see. Um, and so that's what I decided to do. And I, I, you know, I applied and I went through the process and um, in my interview process here, I had never been to Penn before. Now, I love Philly. I have a lot of friends in Philly. Like I, I love Boathouse Row. I think it's an amazing place. And we love this area. And we, we knew we eventually wanted to move back. And when the opportunity came up and I interviewed, I, I had never been on campus. And I, when I walked across the street on the campus, it, I just liked the feel of it. I liked the school. I liked the city. I liked where it is. And then I really enjoyed the people that I met in the interview process. I didn't meet any of the athletes. And, uh, you know, I met the, the coaches here and I met, you know, some alumni that were on, that were on the hiring committee and I met the administrators and I hit it off with a lot of those people. Um, so, you know, there was some negotiations. There's a lot of back and forth after that, but, 
Um, my, I, I also uh, appreciated the challenge in, in a sense. You know, I knew it was going to be hard and it is, and it's not easy, yeah. but I think anywhere in this league is not easy. You know, I think that's the misconception that people have. They think that, oh, if it's easy at places like Princeton and Yale and UW and Cal, like all these other schools, like it's just, they have it easier. And I think the reality is they don't, it's hard everywhere to win. And it's hard to be good at whatever it is you want to be good at, at your craft. And no matter where you are or how, where you're coming from or how far back you are from being at the top, it's the same amount of work. Uh, and you just have to do it and commit to it and, and sort of stay focused on what you're doing and get it done. And then, you know, law of averages kind of over time, you'll, you'll, if you do that and you, you sort of do that with integrity and honor, you're, like, you're going to have more success than not. And you're going to learn a lot along the way. And so that's been a lot of my approach here is just getting the team to have fun rowing and training and enjoying the process and enjoying what they're doing and trying to be as excellent as they can be in a boat and, uh, and be their best version of themselves. And I think if we can do that, then we're going to have success, you know, and, you know, obviously we want to win and I want to, I want to get this program back to where it has been in the past. I have no illusions that that's going to happen fast. I have no illusions that um, it's going to be easy. And I think the alumni I talk to don't either. So, you know, I, I feel confident that I'm not going to be a, sort of the next in a long list of pen coaches to sort of uh, have a go at it. And, you know, but we'll see. I, yeah. So I, I, uh, I wanted to ask you, and I don't even know if it's, if it, you kind of just answered it. It's like, could Penn be a grand finalist in the IRA in the men's open eight? Like, is yeah. that, is that a possibility, like a true possibility to get Absolutely. There? Yeah. What does it take to be a grand finalist of the IRA? You got to have power. You got to have talent. You got to have all those things. You know, you, you need good athletes. You need good people around and you need them to do the work that's required. Right. You need to do, you need to row as well as everybody else is rowing and you need to pull harder. <laughs> it's pretty simple. Uh, and now the question is, are we as coaches doing everything we can to support the athletes in that sort of endeavor in that mission uh, and making sure that we're sort of guiding them in the right direction so that they can get there and reminding them when they go astray of why they're here. Um, it's definitely possible. You know, it's a matter of uh, what is it? Shawshank time and pressure, time and pressure. <laughs> well, speaking of pressure, uh, I would. I am convinced that '96 to 2006 was the greatest error era in rowing, U.S. rowing history, and you were yeah. a major part of that. No one can convince me otherwise, and I think I have more often than not they they believe that. We talked about in the very beginning the pressure of being at Princeton in that '97 to 2000 era. Now this is a different time these days, but. Do you, do you, as a coach, do you naturally transition to that and say, we want to build that kind of environment at wherever you're coaching? I think I try to do elements of it. You know, I think it's like a more compassionate version of that. 
you know, I don't think you can, I think that was a moment in time and I don't think that can happen anymore the way the world is. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there can be elements of it, you know, like where you're hard on people and you, you get the most out of them, but they have to be almost more on board than we would have been back then. You know, you have to sort of, it has to be their choice. Um, what, 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 what kind of, uh, what is going on with international recruiting? Like how has that changed the makeup of the IRA programs and clubs, college, colleges in the country? Uh, I mean, it, I think it's raised the level a little bit, you know, like I, I think anytime you, if, you know, if you're recruiting all over the world and you're getting the best people in your sport all over the world, it's going to elevate the game. Um, and I think that's a good thing. And I think long-term, I think American athletes, if, if they're around people that are good and that are better than them, they will get better. And then, you know, if you move the standard, people are going to meet it. Right. It's like when I, when that the lightweight was making up his scores, I didn't think to myself, I couldn't do that. You know, I thought to myself, you know, the hell with this guy, I'm going to beat him. And you know, you need people with that attitude. You know, you need, I need people at Penn that, that see this as an opportunity to sort of prove themselves. And, um, you know, they don't shy away from the challenge. And so you get enough of those people, then, then you get some momentum and, and you can make some progress. And I think international athletes do that. They, they have that. And, it, you know, so I think of them less in terms of where they're from and more in terms of where's the quality coming from? Where are the top athletes and how do we get them here? Hmm. Now, there are issues with parity, I think, in terms of like how many internationals I am allowed to have and can get in and can support versus other schools. I think that's an issue. Um, and I think that makes things more difficult at certain places. Um, so that I think that's something that we have to deal with as a sport. Uh, just to make it make it sort of as equitable as it can be and as fair as it can be. Um, but I'm not going to like, you know, you can't, you can't look at what other people have and say, well, that's just not fair and throw your hands up and not try. Right. So it's like, um, yeah, it's a challenge. I'll get the best people I can get and I'll make them go as fast as I can and, um, or as fast as they can and see where we land. And hopefully from there, you start to get some momentum and, and um, you, you, you get a couple of those, those top recruits from, from international places. So, you know, you're, you're, you've changed quite a bit since the young guy in Jamie Coben's house fucking spackling, you know, the wall. <laughs> do, do you use the gold medal, the, I believe it was a bronze um, in the eight, uh, in the 08. Do you use those medals and that, history as a tool to get other athletes to come row for for Penn like hey look I'm one of the only coaches in the country that has this history come come row with me uh I would say no I mean I I they know I try to make sure they know so they know who they're coming to row for and they know my pedigree and like what I've done um but the truth is I'm getting old enough now and to the point where they're kind of they have to Google me. So it's not like they know. So, <laughs> so it's like, uh, you know, it's helpful, but you know, there are a lot of good coaches that have a lot of accolades and have won a lot of races, you know, so I'm up against that. So, 
you got to be careful of like living in the past. You know, you said it earlier and I wanted to bring this up. It's like the dads of the kids know you better <laughs> than the kids. Yeah. Uh, that's a, is yeah, that a tough pill to swallow? Is that, is that hard to, just, is that hard to swallow? No, no, I think it's fun. <laughs> like it, 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 it's good. It's a good actually way to like, they, the kids relate now. You know, they, they, they see it as like a way, I think they see it as a way to relate. You know, and, you know, if they, if they think I'm old, I'm old, whatever. It keeps me young. You know, I have to like learn what music they're listening to, what movies. And when I, you know, like when I learn about their culture and kind of like what they're into, it is shocking sometimes. And like when I learn about like what they like and enjoy from like my era, that's even more shocking. Cause I'm like, you guys really, that's what you, you took from the nineties. Come on now. <laughs> That's better stuff. You know, there's a there's a moment in the uh, in the movie, and you guys were erging, and you were listening to WMMR Rock, and I remember that thing. <laughs> you were listening to you were listening to the radio, you know. Yeah. And yep. whatever came on, came on, and you guys were in the middle of a fucking 10k or a 6k, two by 6k, and like you know, commercials come on, <laughs> and like, yeah, the kids back then do not appreciate that is what we had. Yep. Ernie, you that's, don't have Katy Perry playlists, you know, like you got. That's actually very hilarious because I literally two days ago, one of my juniors texted me and he said, coach, what did you like? Do you have any like mixed tapes? Like, how did you listen to music when you erred? And I said, yeah, we had mixed tapes early and then it was CDs. We would, we would make playlists and play them on the CD yeah. and just, you had to pick it before you started. Yes. Yes. And they were like, oh, they're like, do you have any of those? And I go, I can try to dig them up. And so I brought in, like, I found all my CDs from wow. there. And I just brought in, like, you know, you have the CD case. Yeah. Like, you know, I just brought them in and gave it to the guys. And I said, all right, have, have fun. And they're like, well, how did you listen to music? Well, I was like, well, there's a stereo. And then, and then I would, I found a picture of a, a disc man. Wow, <laughs> I yeah. sent it to the, I sent it to them. I said, just imagine stuffing this up your trowel and trying to earn. <laughs> like, not comfortable. You know, the oh, cords and the foam head headphones. It was yeah. yes, dude. That I love that. Now, last question, and it's 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 uh more towards like the future. So much has changed um, with the coaching and the future of U.S. rowing, and that happened when you started, right? So you went through a regime a regime change when you started your 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 era. Um, I, I like to think you're optimistic for for the U.S. in the future. Are you? Yeah. Any I advice am, yeah, for the I guys am. transitioning? Um, just remember that they're the ones that matter. I think, like that's the important part. You know, what are the what are the essentials in rowing? You need athletes, boats, oars, and water. If you have those things, you can go fast, and they have all those things. Um, I think they have a very talented group. I'm very excited for how young they are and what they can do. I think they just have to stick with it. Um, I think people overreact a lot to the results of the Olympics and then they give up, you know, in support. Like, I think that, you know, we have talented athletes. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of good Americans and we just have to encourage them to keep going and find a place that they can row and, and help support them. I am very optimistic, um, you know, cause I think the other thing I'll say to them is, like it's 
every, everything that everyone's talking about now about what U.S. drilling needs to do and how we're going to change it to fix it and all this, they've been talking about that for decades, right? And you can win in spite of all that if you're committed enough and if you just focus on it and, and commit to each other as athletes and trust whatever, whoever your coach is, just trust it and, and, and build something. You don't need some system to tell you that it's going to work out or how it's going to work out. Just make the boat go fast and it tends to work out. You know, I, I bring it up because I, I would imagine that after the 2000 Olympics, there was a lot of chatter to the rowing population, but also some decision makers like, oh, uh-oh, right? Like we put all this effort, we put all this money, we put all this time and uh-oh, and there you guys were, heads down, rowing, and then changing the direction of U.S. rowing forever in 2004. So you'd be a, yeah. a perfect person to talk to these younger guys now. Yeah, it's not as dramatic as everyone makes it out to be. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Uh, yeah. Brian, I had, I'm, dude, I've smiled the entire time. I've had such a good time talking to you yeah, and learning about this story. And everyone tuning in uh, on our podcast and on YouTube, uh, there will be links everywhere to get a hold of UPenn. And if you're interested in you rowing for UPenn and one of the most decorated rowers in U.S. history, here's your chance. Brian, thanks for uh, being here. I, I really appreciate this. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. It was great. There it is. Tune in for more. We got, we got, we got coming out every single week.